Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. Tracy, we are officially into creepy haunted places time. We are. (laughs) But as people who have listened to the show in the past, and particularly our Halloween episodes might know, sometimes even the creepy haunted things, we have to talk about the explanations and and validity versus not of those creepy haunted claims. So if you just want a ghost story, you might be disappointed. <laughs> well, and this is this is one of those cases where uh, the reporting of the ghosts is very different between like English speaking ghost hunters and locals. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, today's topic is actually about what is now an uninhabited island that has come to be called all manner of spooky things in in some of the rather more sensationalist discussions of it, including Plague Island and the Island of Ghosts and the Venetian Island of No Return, which I love, but plenty of people have gone there and looked around and come back, so that doesn't really seem valid. Uh, <laughs> uh, and since we're headed into Halloween, it seemed like the perfect time to tackle this odd tiny little patch of land in the lagoon surrounding Venice. And first, we're going to talk a little bit about the island itself, which is Poveglia, and then we're going to talk about its history, and finally, some of the legends that have given it all of those scary monikers. And there is some creepiness, even before we get to that part. (laughs) Oh, sure. There's always a little creepiness. Especially when a place has been around for a long time. And the tiny island of Poveglia sits south of Venice proper. It's west of the Venice Lido sandbar in the Venice Lagoon. Yeah, if you look at a map of Venice, there's the tight cluster of islands that make up sort of what I would call the city proper. And then that sandbar extends to the uh, east of that down kind of in a southerly direction at a slight angle. And then Pavilia is kind of in the, in the, towards the base of that sandbar in that lagoon. And Pavilia, as viewed from above, is shaped sort of, and I really have to make clear that it's a sort of, sort of like a narrow fan in what looks like three pieces when you're viewing it from an aerial shot. So the base at the southern end of the island is an octagonal shape, and it's separated from the rest by a little a little uh, bit of water. And then the remaining fan, which is about 7.5 hectares or 18.6 acres, is bisected by a canal that runs across it roughly east to west. And there is a footbridge that connects the two sections of the island that are separated by that canal. It almost doesn't look like a real thing viewed from above (laughs) to me. Yeah. So there are a number of buildings on the island. That includes the remains of a church, a hospital, and a series of smaller structures that appear to have been staff housing and administration buildings. Yeah, and if you're looking at it, like I said, in those those two land pieces connected by a bridge, the southerly one is the one where the buildings are. The, the one to the north doesn't really have uh, anything built on it. And access to Pavilia would normally happen via boat from Venice, but there are no regularly running ferries or water shuttles. You cannot just ask someone with a boat to take you there because most of them won't go. And this is usually chalked up to some sort of, you know, uh, sinister reason, either that people (laughs) are too superstitious to go near it or on a a more practical level, that they just aren't interested in tourists adding to the morass of ghost stories about the island. But the reality of the situation is actually quite mundane. It is just off-limits to visitors. 
So Povelia's beginnings aren't all that well-documented, but it's likely that it served as a haven in the 5th century for people who were fleeing invaders to the European continent. At that point, it was called Popilia, most likely derived from someone's family name. The island was inhabited into the early 9th century when its existing population left as Charlemagne's son, Pepin, attacked Venice. But by the end of the 9th century, it was once again inhabited, and it had developed a small but stable economy that was mostly based on fishing. A church was erected on the island in the 12th century. It was named for St. Vitale. And the only remaining structure from that church is its bell tower. The church itself was eventually demolished. And in the early 19th century, that bell tower was converted into a lighthouse. And it remains, and it is the tallest structure on the island. In the 14th century, the Venetians ended a very long conflict with the Genoese. And this was actually a late stage of a whole series of conflicts that had started 100 years earlier in the mid-13th century. The Venetians were driven north to the larger island of Judica, and these conflicts led to this design and construction of fortifications in the lagoon. So an octagonal fortress, which we mentioned earlier, was built on the island of Pavilia after the 14th century. That's what forms that base of that sort of fan shape that I described. And this was one of several forts in the area that were built to protect Venice. In addition to the octagon at Pavilia, there was the arsenal in Venice proper, the fort on the island of Sant'Andrea, and another octagon at Alberoni. And this group of fortifications has actually been nominated as a UNESCO World Heritage Site under the umbrella name Venetian Works of Defense between 15th and 17th centuries. When you look at the aerial views of the island, the this octagonal fort combined with the canal are what really makes it look like to me, like, is this a theme park ride? <laughs> like, <laughs> it does look a little, um, it looks to me also sometimes like a very fat punctuation mark. Mm-hmm. Like the like an exclamation point and the fort makes the dot at the bottom. Sure. But it's not a, a normal shape. <laughs> no. Pavelia was briefly part of the Austrian Empire before Napoleon conquered it for France. And it was during this time that the Church of St. Vitale was brought down and the lighthouse was converted. And during the Napoleonic Wars in the first two decades of the 19th century, the fortress on Pavilia was used first by Napoleon as a place to stash weapons, and then it was repurposed by English soldiers as a location from which they could launch an ambush on French ships. And according to legend, the prisoners that they took in these ambushes were taken to the island and killed, and then their ships were left to sink in the lagoon. There is one legend I don't go into later that there are still French ships just sitting there at the bottom of the lagoon. Pavelia was also used as a lazaretto or a maritime quarantine location as part of the public health office. As Venice has been an important seaport all through its history, it's often had to take measures to ensure that visitors and traders who were traveling through the city would not bring an outbreak of disease with them. That sort of outbreak could quickly devastate the population of a city like Venice. And similarly, if Venice had an outbreak of disease, those leaving could carry it and then spread it far and wide. So to that end, both incoming and outgoing travelers would have to wait either on their ships off the coast or on the island of Pavelia for a period of 40 days to ensure that they were not brewing a potential health crisis before they were granted admittance to the city or before they were let go. And this is claimed in some sources as the origin of the word quarantine. So caranta is the Italian word for 40. 
Ferdinand von Guram, who was a commander of a volunteer corps of Viennese soldiers to fight against Napoleon I, wrote an account of his time in quarantine in his book that was called A Pilgrimage to Palestine, Egypt, and Syria. That book was published in 1840. And the account that's dated September 6th, 1831, reads as follows. I am on board the ship Ulysses. She has not finished her quarantine and is subject to all the rigors of the sanitary laws. Since my embarkation, I am myself considered as one infected with the plague. This letter will be taken up with pincers and put into a tin box, and it will come to you stabbed, sprinkled with vinegar, and fumigated. I left Venice at 7 in the morning. The Admiralty gondola came to my hotel to fetch me. The captain of the port had kindly caused such necessaries as I should want for the voyage to be purchased for me. I proceeded to the Lazaretto, a short league from Venice, then went on board the ship. The Austrian flag was hoisted on my approach. I was received by the captain, the mate, and the crew. So, at least in this instance, it seems like the quarantine was simply a matter of course. It was not a scenario of torture or even seemingly fear. It was just waiting out the days required to determine that no disease outbreak was coming or going before he could just move on because he he basically just kept in his journal his discussion of his days waiting there <laughs> at Pavilia. And coming up, we are going to talk about the historical affliction that is most commonly referenced when it comes to Pavilia, that being bubonic plague. But before we do, we're going to have a quick sponsor break. So while Pavilia's use as a lazaretto went well into the 19th century, it's the surges of bubonic plague that made the island famous as a holding facility. So during these times, Venice, at a heightened state of fear, would send sick people to the island, basically just to die. The bodies would then be shoveled into mass graves and then burnt. And from the 14th to the 16th centuries, Venice went through almost two dozen plague scares. So there is really no telling how many people have been buried and or burned on the island. Just as an FYI, though, you might see images of excavated plague pits with large, large numbers of skeletal remains when you search for pictures of Pavalia online. But those are from a different island in the Venetian lagoon, Lazaretto Vecchio. There are almost certainly plague pits still on Pavalia. They've just never been exhumed. Yeah, I uh, I found one thing in a, a note, and we'll talk about it a little bit more towards the end, where there is allegedly a marker at one point that says, do not dig disease within or whatever. I didn't find that repeated in, in places I would consider uh, reasonable and valid sources. So there could be, but I don't know. Um, in 1922, a hospital was established on the island. This is often reported as a mental hospital. So that's right. At this point, this island has what you could consider a haunting trifecta of a fort, <laughs> plague pits, and a mental hospital. But uh, either eventually or simultaneously, it is a little unclear, that hospital was also used as a housing facility for Venice's older indigent population. And some stories will say that, oh, no, it transitioned and became basically like a a nursing home for elderly people. Others will say it was always one or the other. Uh, It's a little unclear exactly how that played out. But in 1968, Pavilia's home for elderly homeless people closed, and the island has not been inhabited since then. But while there haven't been people permanently living on it, there have been people still using the island. There's a small vineyard and some other agricultural projects that were 
put there not long after the hospital closed. Teenagers have long been known to visit it, as evidenced by some graffiti throughout the buildings. And for a while, there was a plan to use part of the island for student housing. That whole idea fascinates me, and that project never came to fruition. Uh, yeah, I think there are a lot of moments of of public works intentions in this story that don't ever quite make it to the finish line. Um, but over the years, the various remaining man-made structures have slowly been reclaimed by the island's natural vegetation. Various visitors, yes, some people do visit, even though it is technically off-limits, uh, have taken photos of Pavilia in recent years, and the degradation of the structures make it really apparent that there is likely a huge safety risk in just wandering around in the crumbling buildings. The humidity and the seasonal weather changes have severely damaged the roofs throughout the island. Most of them are either partially or totally collapsed. In 2014, the Italian government tried to leverage Pavelia's cultural popularity to drive revenue to try to address some really deep debt. They auctioned off a lease for the island, and the winning bid would have the island via a lease for 99 years. The property would remain owned by the Italian government, This is part of a larger effort on the part of the government to liquidate properties for redevelopment for both short-term and long-term economic boost. The four other properties that were chosen were to be sold outright rather than leased, however. And the Pavilia auction was covered in a variety of news outlets under headlines like, you could own the world's most haunted island. Some were a little more uh, stoic than that, but there were a lot along those lines. But the plan sort of fell apart. So the auction proceeded as scheduled. Uh, Basically, it wasn't an auction like with a, a gavel. It was like there was a timeline where people could put in bids. Uh, and a businessman named Luigi Brugnaro won after bidding 513,000 euros. Uh, I saw one estimate that put that somewhere between 700,000 and a quarter of a million dollars uh, in, in American money. So through a spokesperson, it was announced that the purchase was made by Brugnaro to ensure that this piece of property went to an Italian rather than a foreign developer and that whatever project was chosen for it was going to be designed for public use. An activist group, which was referred to as the Povelia Association in most English-language news outlets, but which is really called Povelia Pertuti in its actual name, which means Povelia for everyone, tried to raise funds to purchase the island and make it a historic property. And they did make an offer, but it was much, much lower than this winning bid. It was 160,000 euros. That came from 4,329 donors. Once Brugnaro's bid was in, the Pavalia Association insisted that the Italian state agency that was handling the auction and the sale not accept this offer. Brugnaro's plan was eventually rejected by the Agenzia del Demanio on the grounds that what he had in mind was incongruous with the restoration needs of the island. At the time of the determination that the original bidder's plan wasn't workable, Venice was also in the midst of a scandal related to bribes that was impacting a lot of city officials. In actuality, that bid was really too low to meet the needs of the state in terms of denting their debt. Brugnaro initially intended to pursue this matter through legal channels, thinking that his offer should have been accepted under the terms of the auction. But then he decided to run for mayor of Venice on a conservative platform, and he won. And when he started his campaign, he renounced any interest in Pavalia to avoid any conflicts of interest. 
And since that time, Pavilia Pertuti has continued to work on developing a proposal for the island that will retain its historical identity and make two-thirds of the island public recreational space, rather than allowing it to become a luxury tourist destination, which has happened to pretty much all the other little islands that were sold off. Yeah. It's not surprising at all that an island with so many tragic historical events is rumored to be haunted. I mean, like Holly said earlier, it's got the whole trifecta of hauntings. And because of the lack of documentation and excavation, there's just a big gap in knowledge about a lot of different aspects of Pavelia's history. And that means that people have filled in these gaps with fantastic tales. And we're going to go through just a few of them. So the soil, some people claim, is 50% human ash. Because according to rumor, more than 100,000 bodies are buried there. And this is, again, a pretty small space. We have no idea, really, how many plague victims or other people have been laid to rest on the island. Recent statements by the group working to make public spaces on the island say that those numbers are very inflated in all likelihood. But as a counter, there have been those mass graves found on Lazaretto Vecchio nearby, so it does not seem that unlikely that Pavilia has a similar situation. Rumors persist that local fishers are so terrified of accidentally netting human remains that they won't go anywhere near the island. And some versions of this particular part of the story indicate that the main concern is accidentally disturbing an ancestor. But this story is just simply not true. Modern photos show active fishing nets in place around the island. And there are a couple of different angles to the haunting stories that are associated with this Venice Lagoon island. The most standard-slash-obvious version is simply that all those plague victims ferried to the island to die, never found peace in the afterlife, and so their spirits are trapped on Pavilia. There have also been accounts that claim to have seen plague doctors with those unique and distinctive masks wandering the island in spectral form. A lot of times that plague doctor image, which is very creepy and sort of beautiful if you're into gothic-y things, is very much associated with Pavilia. A more layered version claims that when the mental hospital was built, the patients were haunted by the plague ghosts who were already on the island, and then as patients at the hospital died, they just joined the ghosts that were already there. And we are going to talk about the darkest and most grisly of the haunting legends about Pavilia in just a moment. Uh, so if you are a little bit easily spooked, or maybe if you have a littler listener, this is a good time to just preview this last section if you're, you're concerned. But before we do it, we're going to hear from one of our sponsors that keeps this show going. The most gruesome of the haunting legends on Pavilia is related to the mental hospital that we mentioned. So the story goes that one of the doctors there at the hospital was just incredibly cruel so much so that he began conducting experiments on the patients. So stories of crude lobotomies, that phrase comes up over and over, uh, patients being chained up or tortured, a variety of other horrors all enter the story, and they reach varying degrees of cringeworthy depending on the source that you're looking at. Eventually, the doctor in this scenario is said to have been driven to kill himself, either because he realized the horror of what he was doing and was guilty about it, or because he was haunted by the dead of the island. And in this story, he jumped from the bell tower. There are variations about whether he just fell or whether he was pushed by mysterious forces as well. And in some versions, I found this and I was sort of delighted. Uh, the fall did not kill him, but instead he was engulfed by some sort of otherworldly mist, presumably 
spirits. Uh, these stories often end with the spookiest of lines, but his body was never found, uh, suggesting sort of obliquely that he could somehow still be wandering around out there. But the boring reality is that this entire story of a doctor who was incredibly cruel and unkind and was driven mad appears to have been completely fabricated. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there is no record of such a person or event, which is why nobody has ever found a body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it it's 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 very tropey. It's very ghost oh, it's got story all the checkboxes of trope. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A big part of this whole haunted label that's been put on Pavalia seems to have come from the TV show Ghost Adventures. In two thousand nine, the series had an episode about Pavalia in which one of the hosts claimed to have been temporarily possessed during the filming. And the show described Pavalia as the world's most haunted island, and the stories have only gained momentum since then. Yeah, you really do notice, like, there's not a lot of uh, write-ups that you can find before that about it being haunted. I'm sure any place that, you know, has been abandoned, those local stories come up about it, and sometimes they get used to try to keep children in line, etc. But in terms of, like, the uh, (laughs) online content about it and any sort of, like, write-ups, they're not really about it being haunted until after this. And then they just go bananas and they're everywhere you can find haunting stories. But there also has been a growing movement to give Pavilia a place in Venice's history without all of those paranormal and spooky rumors. So for many locals, even though the island has officially been off limits to visitors, it was part of their youth. Many of them grew up going to the island to fish or explore with friends or get into a bit of teenage mischief away from adults. In addition to wanting Pavalia to be spared the fate of the other lagoon islands, which most of them have had hotels built on them, they tend to be very big, luxurious hotels, these Italians want to put to rest the ghost stories that have really sensationalized the identity of the island on the global stage. In some cases, this seems like it might be muddling the history even farther, though, For example, there have been claims that the hospital on the island was never a mental hospital, but there is at least one sign that's been photographed there in recent years that reads psychiatric department in Italian. Yeah, so so that kind of fuels the idea that it was a, a mental hospital, but it also really does not help the case of people going, no, 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 nothing weird happened here. Uh... It's kind of like you got to acknowledge what what was real in order to soothe the more sensationalized discussion about it. Uh, and of course, there are loads of places to find references to Pavilia in modern fiction, which in many cases are kind of adding to that uh, haunted mystique. Uh, a place that appears to be based on Pavilia is actually in the first chapter of the graphic novel Sandman, Endless, Endless Nights by Neil Gaiman. And Pavilia also appears in other graphic novels as well, It's referenced periodically in various fictional TV shows, and it is currently the setting of an Italian film that is in development titled The Plague Doctor. And in non-fictional art, there's a drawing of Pavilia by Giacomo Gardi in the Metropolitan Museum of Arts collection. This image is labeled The Island of Pavilia with British naval officers embarking, and it was drawn sometime in the late 18th or early 19th century. It features a scene that looks full of life and very active. There's not a ghost in sight. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, that's in their online archive, so you can look at it and see that it it just looks like any drawing you would see of a, a busy island with a military personnel coming and going on it. 
Not spooky at all. Yeah, you just went to the Met. I was going to ask if that it was what inspired this episode. I did not see it at the Met. Um, if I had, that would have been a whole other thing. I did uh, get another idea for a different show at the Met, but you'll have to wait for that one. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that then. But uh, yeah, so that is Pavilia, an island that it is fun to think about being haunted, but I feel like the reality is probably more mundane. That's usually my go-to. There was one uh, discussion that I stumbled across online. They were like, we went and we recorded and there were all these noises of thumping and bumping. And in my head, I'm like, those buildings are falling apart before our eyes. Like, yes, I believe there was thumping and bumping. Yeah. It's probably roof tiles falling off. I know I'm very skeptical. (laughs) Well, um, I stayed in a cabin one time many years ago and I I was staying there two nights a week for several weeks in a row. And something about this old, the, there was like a newly built-on addition, which was where I was staying, and then a very, very old part. And the old part just gave me the creeps real bad the whole time I was there. And one night I heard this like creepy thumping sound that was kind of muffled, like weird footsteps, and it scared me <laughs> so bad. And then I got up in the morning to get in my car and leave, and I heard the noise again, and I whipped around, and it was apples falling out of the apple tree. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, like, gravity will give you some good ghost noises Mm. sometimes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I love to think about a haunted place. Heaven knows the Haunted Mansion is my favorite place. But, uh, yeah, usually it's it's a pretty mundane explanation. I have a a general listener mail roundup today. Oh, great. Like I I often mention, but I always feel like I should mention it again. Uh, It's so easy to get behind because we get a lot of great listener mail. So I'm not going to read all of them, but I will discuss each of them. There are a few. So the first is from, uh, it looks like Jessica and I think Jose. This is a case of a postcard that got slightly, uh, it didn't really get mangled. It just got a little smeared on (laughs) on, on the journey. They listen to the podcast and they were recently on vacation in Canada and they sent us a postcard from a castle whose name I'm probably going to terribly mispronounce, which is Craigdarach Castle in Victoria, British Columbia. It is very beautiful uh, and I appreciate it. It's a, uh, they mentioned that it has quite a rich family history. So I might put that on the list of things to investigate. Thank you so much, Jessica and Jose. I hope you had wonderful travels. Uh, My next one is an email that I really love from our listener, Will. I want to withhold some of the information because what he tells us could explain where his house is. Uh, (laughs) He said, thank you. I just listened to your Carmen Miranda podcast. I am particularly interested in Carmen because I recently purchased and now live in her first home in California. Uh, I was not much of a Carmen Miranda fan before I bought the house, but I have since come to learn her story, which impresses me, and I am a Carmen Miranda fan now. I haven't yet come across any relics from Carmen Miranda at home, but eventually I will collect a few items of memorabilia to honor the past. And then the line that I thought was super cool. He said, I guess it's kind of cool that your podcast about Carmen Miranda has been played where she once lived. I agree. That's super cool. Thank that you, Will. That is cool. Um, if I show up on your doorstep, just know that you told me where you live. So <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't really show up unannounced on someone's doorstep, but it is very tempting. I also have a listener from Caroline. This is also about Carmen Miranda. Uh, she had a, a sent us a, a lovely little note 
in a beautiful envelope with a wax seal. You guys and your wax seals are really bringing it to the next level. She says, I was so excited to hear your new episode on Carmen Miranda. She's popped up often in my historical research on the Caribbean and is featured in one of my favorite books and is on the cover. And it talks about how women's labor basically runs the world, but they don't get any credit. With your excellent podcast, you bring so many women to the fore and assess them with nuance. Thank you for your hard work. Caroline, thank you so much, Caroline. I love Carmen Miranda's story and think she's a fascinating uh, I don't want to say character because she was a real human, but she's a fascinating figure in history, as are many of the women uh, and men and other people that we talk about. I love all that stuff. So thank you guys for sharing your thoughts, telling me where you live, <laughs> and uh, sending us beautiful postcards all the time. We really appreciate it. I wish we could always get all of them on the air, but it's just not feasible. That would be a podcast just called Mailbag. And it would go on for months and it, people would stop listening. Uh, if you would like to write to us, though, you can do so by writing history podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. You can also find us across the spectrum of social media as Missed in History. You can find our mailing address at our website, which is MissedInHistory.com. That is also where you will find the entire archive of all of the shows, even from long before Tracy and I were involved. And you can find show notes for the ones that Tracy and I have worked on together. So come and visit us at MissedInHistory.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 